I am not a cook. Food has never really been my thing. My wife Ashley will tell you that I eat to live as where she lives to eat. I've always thought if food takes more time to prepare it than eat it, it's not really worth all that work. Now to all you foodies out there, I know I've just offended your most prized delicacies. My apologies. Ashley's trying to slowly mold me into a cook. So just recently, she's been patiently trusting me with small meal tasks in the kitchen. Uh, a few weeks ago, she very clearly laid out the instructions and directions for me to have a successful meal-making opportunity. You're thinking, Simon, uh, what did she trust you with? Uh, a beautiful filet of salmon, steak on the grill, chicken cordon bleu? No. It was spaghetti. She trusted me with spaghetti. And to clarify, just so you don't get the wrong impression, she had already made the sauce. Okay. So there I am in the kitchen. The water is boiling. Uh, the noodles were on. The sauce was simmering. I was putting the final touch touches on the garlic bread. I was following her instructions to a T. She said to put the oven on broil, and so uh, the garlic bread would have a nice golden brown on top. I was feeling pretty good. I was feeling pretty proud of myself for absolutely nailing this kitchen outing. And I thought to myself, you know what? I've gotten this far with Ashley's help and her directions. I think I can take it home from here. So I decided to waver from Ashley's instructions, and I decided to leave the garlic bread in an extra few minutes. This is what happened. God bless her heart and my kids. They all rallied around me as to not crush my inner chef and they ate every piece of that burnt garlic bread like champs. Moral of the story is if you put enough butter and garlic on anything, people will eat it. No, for real. What I'm beginning to learn is that when it comes to cooking, Treating recipes and directions like they're merely suggestions to be considered and not commands to be followed is unwise and untasty. Today, we're going to be diving into the story of a man who had a hard time following the instructions he was given. And we're going to be learning from his really bad example that when we do this, it's not only unwise, but it can ultimately lead to our destruction. Each week in this series, we've been looking at some really bad examples from the Bible in order to learn from the mistakes that have been made by men and women in the past to help us avoid these downfalls in our own lives. After all, that's exactly why these stories were included in the Bible in the first place. Today's really bad example comes from the book in the Bible known as 1 Samuel, and it chronicles the life of Israel's first king, King Saul. Now, to properly understand the story of King Saul, we have to take a bit of a journey back and understand what's happening at this point in the grand narrative of Scripture as we look at God's chosen people, the Israelites. So, go back all the way to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. God promises a man named Abraham that he would redeem all humankind through his family and his offspring. His family would become a great nation and the whole world would end up being blessed through them. That family would become known as Israel or the Israelites and they were God's chosen people. Now, God would be their king and they 
would be his people. Now, this is what's known as a theocracy. They would have no human king. God would lead their nation. That's a theocracy. But as the nation grew in size and strength, they grew apart from God's ways and God's commands. So they turned away from God's design for them, and they began to set up different geographical leaders over different tribes and different sections of the nation of Israel. These leaders were called judges. But during that time, there was so much corruption and evil. As one author puts it, that entire era is riddled with horrific acts of evil, bloody conflicts, and tales of human misery. It was an age of absolute moral chaos. The Bible sums it up in a very ominous way in, a, in the very last verse in the book of Judges. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Everyone doing what's right in your own eyes. It, it seems like a, a perfect recipe for moral mayhem. It, it's chaos and it showed. So with no human king, with no formal government, God would send his prophets to the people, reminding them of God's promises and to, to ask them to turn from their wicked ways and to begin to listen to the commands of God again. And one such prophet was the prophet Samuel. So, the people had rejected God as their king, and they wanted to be like the other nations around them who all had kings. So they approached Samuel, the prophet, and they begin to beg Samuel to give them a king. And as you can imagine, this made Samuel, who spoke on God's behalf, it made him mad. You want a king? God is your king. Just follow him and you'll be fine. But God told Samuel to grant them their request and to give them a human king. Now enter a 30-year-old small-town nobody named Saul. The Bible tells us that Saul was from the smallest tribe of Israel and his clan was the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. He had no kingly resume. He was not a man of mighty character, but he was handsome and tall. You might be thinking, I'm making this up, that, that these were his only credentials, that he was handsome and tall. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And this is who God tells Samuel to anoint as the first king of Israel. It's almost as if God is telling the people, hey, you want to reject me as king and you just want to live on the surface and be like everyone else? Well, then I'm going to give you exactly what you're asking for. I'm going to give you the most surface guy out there. The guy who only looks like a king on the surface because he's handsome and tall. Have you ever been to the grocery store and you've tried to pick out a watermelon? Okay. <laughs> I never know which one to get. How do you know by just looking at the outside of a watermelon if it's going to be watery and sweet inside? So I did some research and I found this helpful graphic. If you want to pick out a good watermelon, pick one out that is dark and dull. Pick one that is heavy and, and elongated and pick one with an orange field spot. You're welcome, okay? And you thought you'd be watching church today and you wouldn't learn anything, okay? Well, now you know how to pick out a good watermelon. See, there are some things that can be chosen on looks alone. 
kings should not be one of them. All right, where were we? (laughs) Saul, the pretty boy, right? He is chosen as the first king of Israel. Now, when Saul was first appointed, the people were thrilled. He was a fine physical specimen standing a head and shoulder above everyone else in Israel. The people soon learned, however, that even though Saul may have been physically strong, he was emotionally and spiritually weak. And it's here where we begin to learn his really bad examples. If you're following along on your outline, number one, Saul treated God's commands as if they were suggestions. Saul treated God's commands as as if they were suggestions. Now, I've already hinted at this one, but but treating God's commands as if they were just suggestions is is a recipe for disaster. God is all-powerful. God is in control of all things at all times. The sun rises and falls because he says so. Nations rise and fall because he said so. And kings rise and fall because he says so. Listen to how the prophet Daniel describes God in this way. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. He knows all, does all. He changes the seasons and guides history. He raises up kings and also brings them down. He provides both intelligence and discernment. He opens the depths, tells secrets, sees in the dark, light spills out of him. So kings rising and falling because God said so, this should have been so obvious to Saul because of how he rose to his royal position. The only reason he was king was because God said it was so. So when the God who puts you in your seat tells you to do something, or better yet, not to do something, you better listen. But this was one of Saul's deep character flaws. He thought he was smarter than God. First Samuel records a classic example of this. God commands Saul to go to battle against the Amalekites and to totally wipe them out. It says in 1 Samuel 15, Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Okay, let's just hit the pause button right here for a second. Because after hearing a verse like that, some people are thinking, wait, what? (laughs) Why would God command such a thing? Why Why would he tell Saul to totally wipe out another nation? Well, we don't have time today to dive in depth into this uh, subject. But a few years ago, Pastor Darren addressed that very question in a series we did called Head Scratchers. When he answered the question, did God actually command genocide? So if you are interested in learning more about this topic, you can scan the QR code on the screen right now and it'll link you directly to that sermon. But suffice to say, the Amalekites were a wicked and debauched people. They would sacrifice their own children to their gods by burning them alive. And it was God's choice to wipe them out. And God's finally bringing judgment upon them. So, God commanded Saul to go to battle against the Amalekites and to totally wipe them out. Now go, it says, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. So, Saul does as he's commanded. He attacks the Amalekites and they win. Now, you might be thinking, Simon, (laughs) 
Where's the obedience problem here? Because it seems like Saul's not just treating God's commands as if they're suggestions. It seems like he's doing exactly what he's told. Look what happens next. But Saul and the army spared Agag, king of the Amalekites, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to totally destroy. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. You see, Saul only completed half of the contract. Sure, he attacked the Amalekites, but he did not totally destroy them. He kept the best sheep and the cattle for himself. He even kept their king for himself. Much like I treated my wife's cooking instructions as if they were merely suggestions, Saul follows some of God's commands, but not all of God's commands. As one author put it, Saul's root character flaw is self-exaltation and self-deception. He thinks he knows better than everyone else, including God. The biggest tragedy is that he's not even aware of it. The story shows that he's completely blind to his arrogance and he always believes he's in the right. But the story doesn't end there. It gets worse. The prophet Samuel, he hears about Saul's wrong-headed improvisation and he's furious. So he confronts Saul. And as he's approaching Saul, Saul without a care in the world, with no remorse whatsoever, says, Samuel, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel says, well, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears and this lowing of cattle that I hear? See, what Samuel's picking up on is he's surrounded by all of the the cattle and the, the goats of the Amalekites. They're all making this noise. And Samuel's thinking, if you totally wipe them out, then what's all this around me? Saul answered, the soldiers, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Which brings us to our second character flaw and and really bad example of Saul. Saul tried to shift the blame for his shortcomings. Saul tried to shift the blame for his shortcomings. Listen, we all make mistakes. No one is perfect. This is true of me. This is true of you. And this is true of kings. See, God's not looking for perfection. He's, He's looking for humility. When we do mess up, God is wanting a soft heart of repentance, not a heart of pride and arrogance and deceit. But Saul, he had a heart of pride and arrogance and deceit. Saul ignored God's commands, classic Saul, and he went ahead and he did whatever he wanted. So when Samuel calls him out on this, he he tries to justify his sin. He tries to minimize his wrongdoings. He tries to blame it on others Saul answered, well, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best cattle and and sheep to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. See, the problem is when we try to shift the blame, when we don't own our mistakes, we often make the problem worse. A few months ago, Ashley was in a, a car accident. Not a big deal. Someone just changed lanes into her. The guy, he got out of his car. He was pleasant and apologetic. Just wanted to make sure Ashley was okay. She was. But then came the claim from ICBC. 
The guy ended up fabricating this whole story about Ashley speeding through a red light and he tried to shift all of the blame onto her. Now, if you know Ashley at all, she would not let this stand. She's a bit of a justice warrior and she ends up getting the camera footage from the nearest intersection that caught the whole accident on tape. She was completely exonerated when the truth was exposed. Now, this guy who tried to shift the blame, it's so small-minded, it's so prideful to blame shift our shortcomings onto someone else. But that's exactly what King Saul did. But there's one more character flaw that bubbles to the surface in Saul's life that that I think we can learn from. And, And it might give us some insight into a root of why Saul acted like he did. Saul pleased people instead of God. He pleased people instead of God. So right after Saul wriggles around a bit in front of Samuel as as Samuel's calling him out, he finally relents and he confesses and names a root cause of his actions. 1 Samuel 15 says this, Saul gave in and he confessed, I have sinned. I have trampled roughshod over God's word and your instructions. I cared more about pleasing the people. See, when the fickle opinions of people become your guiding light, you're going to end up in darkness. When you please people instead of God, you're heading heading down a very dangerous path. In another translation, Saul says this, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and I listened to their voice. I feared the people and listened to their voice. See, we must never fear people more than God. Because we're putting people over God then. Now, when we're told to fear God, we don't fear God as in like, ah, we're scared of him. We, we fear the Lord. It's a, it requires a holy fear, a, a reverence, a, a healthy respect for his majesty, an awe of his glory. But when we fear people instead of God, when we please people instead of God, we turn our backs on God and his glory. See, the story of Saul has a tragic end. His repentance was only skin deep, and he quickly returned to allowing his pride and his own insecurity be in the driver's seat of his life. And so God removed his spirit from Saul, and Saul lived miserable, miserable years, dealing with depression and anger and jealousy until he ultimately took his own life in battle so he would not be captured by his enemies. So, today, almost 3,000 years after Saul lived and died, what can we as followers of Jesus learn from King Saul's really bad example? As we close, I have three quick learnings. Here we go. As your outline says, following Christ means obeying God's commands. Following Christ means obeying God's commands. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. See, Saul chose to treat God's commands as as though they were just optional. And in turn, God rejected him as king. As followers of Christ, we must obey God's commands. So when Jesus says we must love one another, he doesn't mean love people that we like or love people that are like us or love people that are nice to us or love people that believe what we believe. See, following Christ 
it's about taking his words seriously and honoring him as though on his very words, he makes the sun rise and fall. On his very words, nations will rise and fall. And on his very word, kings will rise and fall. Amen? Secondly, as followers of, uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, what can we learn from King Saul's really bad example? As your outline says, following Christ means owning our failures. It means owning our failures. And the truth is, if you don't begin to own them, they will begin to own you. See, when, when King Saul was confronted with his sin, he tried to shift the blame. He tried to justify his disobedience. He tried to squirm out of it. But in the end, his lack of ownership over his own failures was one of the reasons for his ultimate failure. Listen, God has grace for us. He's got grace for all of us when we mess up. He is loving. He is patient. He is merciful. But we need to own our mistakes. See, because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, he's already paid your moral debt. He's already offered us forgiveness. All we have to do is to reach out and to take it. But we have to own it. And owning it, that, that means confessing. That means turning from our old way of living. See, owning it often means there's natural consequences associated with that. It, it's, it's hard to walk through sometimes. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Often it is hard. But when we humble ourselves, when we own it, God will lift us up. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. See, humbling ourselves, it, it might be as simple as saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As you watch this right now, is there a relationship in your life that needs mending? As you watch this right now, is there someone that you need to say, I'm sorry to. It is amazing how far a genuine apology will get you in life. This is true of our personal relationships. And this is true of your relationship with God. See, God wants us to come to him in humility. He wants us to acknowledge that we've strayed from his design. He wants us to repent from the way we've been living. To simply say sorry and to turn from our ways. If you've never done that before. You're watching right now and you've never done that before. At the end of today's message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that as we close. You can start to gear up for that moment right now as you're watching this. I'm going to give you a chance to simply say a prayer with me so we can say to God, we're sorry. We're sorry. Because following Christ means owning our failures. It means owning our failures. Okay, finally. As followers of Christ today, what can we learn from King Saul's 3,000-year-old really bad example? Following Christ means overlooking the crowd. Following Christ means overlooking the crowd. See, the people around King Saul had more influence in his life than God did. King Saul feared what people thought of him more than what God thought of him. See, King Saul became a people pleaser, not a God honorer. But following Christ means overlooking the crowd. Allowing Jesus to sit on the throne of your life, to be in the driver's seat of your life, is foundational to living a Christ-centered life. 
Let me ask you, what would it look like for you today if you were a person of influence rather than just someone who is influenced by those around you? What steps would you have to take today to break free from the influence of the crowd around you? Romans 12 says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Which brings us to the big idea for today. How can we sum up what we learned from King Saul and his really bad example? It's this. Your deepest character flaws don't have to define you, but you can allow them to refine you. Your deepest character flaws don't have to define you, but you can allow them to refine you. Listen, none of us are perfect. We all have flaws. We've all experienced trauma in our life to some degree or another. We've all been shaped by the things that we've done or that have been done to us. And all these character flaws that we have accumulated, they don't have to define us. If, if we choose to humble ourselves, if we acknowledge that we are not perfect and that we can change, we can learn from them, we can grow from them, and we can become the people that Christ calls us to be. Today, learn the lesson that King Saul refused to learn. Your deepest character flaws don't have to define you, but you can allow them to refine you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, today, as we learn about King Saul, as we dive into his life and learn from his really bad example, Lord, we're, we're reminded that, that we have our own issues that we need to deal with. King Saul's not the only one that has problems owning his failures, owning his mistakes. And so Lord, as we close, there's many of us watching today that simply wanna come back to you and say, I'm sorry that want to own our mistakes, own our failures, and repent, turn from our ways. So if that's you right now and you're watching, and you want to say a prayer to simply own what you've done and ask the God of grace to bring forgiveness into your life, would you just take a moment, wherever you are right now, bow your head, close your eyes, stare at the screen, it doesn't matter, but agree with me as we pray this prayer right now. We're going to ask Jesus, to come be the leader of our life and the forgiver of our sins from this day forward right now. Pray with me. Jesus, I acknowledge that I have sin in my life, that I've missed the mark, I've strayed from your design. I fail. But Jesus, I accept your forgiveness. God, I accept your grace. Holy Spirit, come live within me and teach me what it means to live for you. Renew me, redeem me from the inside out. I'm not gonna be a perfect person from this day forward, but from this day forward, I will be a child of God. I ask and pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for journeying with us through this uh, Really Bad Examples series. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me at the end of today's message, the best I advice I could give you is to text the number on the screen right now. We have a pastor standing by. We would love to text with you and give you your next best step in a real relationship with the God of the universe. We hope that this uh, sermon series has blessed you, that you've been encouraged by it, that you're growing and learning from it. And we want to encourage you to continue to join and uh, journey with us at Broadway Church. We'll see you guys next week.